0: Well, welcome back, everyone, to the Flutie Flakes cast. I'm Doug Flutie, and it was a very interesting weekend in the NFL. Uh, Tampa Bay Bucks actually lose to a backup quarterback, Trevor Simeon, coming off the bench and leading New Orleans to a victory. And Tom Brady actually having an opportunity with two minutes to go, ball in his hands to go down for the winning score, and actually threw a pick, made a mistake, safety jumped the route. I, I want to say that the Saints' safeties really committed to jumping Uh, routes and taking some chances on the back end of the secondary. Like throughout the game, there were some plays similar to that where they committed to doubling a receiver and made some plays. But anyway, uh, New Orleans comes out with the win. And the other big upset, huge upset, Cincinnati getting beat by the Jets. Uh, Big move this week is that Von Miller is traded to the Rams. And Von Miller is fourth in the league in, in quarterback pressures. Number one is Aaron Donald. You put the two of them on the same defensive line. And it creates problems. You can always slide a line to a premier pass rusher. You can double a guy. You can set up a situation where the back's chipping or a tight end to his side. There's a lot of little things you do against a premier pass rusher. To have two now creates all kinds of issues. And the number one way to play pass defense is to get a four-man rush and get pressure on a quarterback, and you can still cover. And that is what is going to happen with the Rams. The Rams are in a great position now defensively. I mean, just to turn it loose, those guys are going to be premier pass rushers. They're going to get one-on-ones, uh, probably be Vaughn. You're going to leave Vaughn Miller one-on-one more than Aaron Donald, and uh, his numbers could really look good by the end of the year. So it's an exciting move. Something that doesn't usually happen in the NFL, the trade deadline and a big-time trade. Cooper Rush off the bench uh, gets the start for the Cowboys as uh, Dak Prescott is still a little banged up. And uh, I I was really, really cool to see Cooper Rush, the end of the game. Hey, first of all, he has a great game, but comes down the end of the game, they need a field goal to tie. And Dallas has the confidence in him to throw the football down on the goal line, throws a beautiful fade route for the touchdown to win the ball game. Instead of playing conservatively, just taking the field goal and, extending the game, the role of the backup quarterback, and, and it was a position I was in a lot through my NFL days, is really tricky because you have to stay ready at any moment. You have to prepare as if you are the starter, yet you don't get the reps in practice. You're just visually watching everything, watching film, preparing. And especially if you're playing behind a guy that doesn't get hurt much, it gets almost counterproductive. It gets depressing because you're working your tail off and you never see the field and you never have that opportunity to show what you can do. So it gets tougher and tougher as time goes by to stay prepared, stay sharp, stay ready, motivate yourself to prepare and to be able to to come in in those moments, come off the bench, especially, and be ready and be pre- prepared, that is a talent. That's a skill and a discipline that a lot of guys don't have. Now, quarterbacks in this situation, Mike White and Cooper Rush believed he was going to start. So they had the week of preparation and they, they prepare. But then that, that creates, I always felt it was easy, easier for me to come off the bench and play. Because you're relaxed on the sideline. You're taking everything in. You're seeing coverages. You're seeing what's open, what isn't, what's causing problems. And then you come off the bench and you just play. When you prepare during the week, yes, you have the reps in the film and all the work. You never get to see the field with relaxed eyes. It's kind of a high-pressure situation. A lot of guys get uptight about it and it gets tougher. It gets tougher as time goes by to be a starter because two things are going to happen. One is now you have time to think about it and get a little nervous about it. The other is the defenses start to see what you do well and can take it away. Uh, The one situation I really want to talk about is Mike White for the Jets coming off as the starter First NFL start, comes out the gate, goes 11 of 11. Now, he was meticulous with what he was very, reminded me a little bit of what Mac Jones does with New England. He was taking some checkdowns, wasn't firing a ball up the field and taking risk. Saw a lot of zone coverage and got his completions, 37 for 45, 400 yards, three TDs. He, was, he looked like a veteran quarterback. He looked like a guy that knew what he was doing. It's the first 400-yard game, passing game for the Jets since Vinny Tessaverde back in 2000. That's saying something. I mean, the guy's primarily been a practice roster type guy, a guy that's just running scout team. He's there. He's barely making a roster. He's he's a bubble guy on your roster. And now he goes, throws 400 yards. The Jets get their first win. Creates a little problem. Now, Zach Wilson is still banged up. He's got a sprain, sprain right knee, and I understand that, that he is the future. But why is he the future? Mike White is 26 years old. I know it's one game. I'm just – For sake of argument, why is Zach Wilson automatically your future? Because you drafted him as a second pick because a GM sticks his neck out and says, this is our guy because a head coach sticks his neck out and says, this is our guy. The other guy's 26 years old. He could play another 10 years. All I'm saying about Mike White, and he's going to have the opportunity to prove it because of a, a sprained right knee by Zach Wilson is give this guy a chance Let's see how this plays out. Can he be consistent? It's a lot easier to play well in your first start than it is your third, fourth, fifth start because people start to know what you do well and start to try to take it away and make you win in other ways. Just because a guy's a first round draft choice, just because a guy's making more money. And this is my history. I go back to the 80s with New England and then around the uh, 99, 2000 with the Buffalo Bills. Don't start a guy just because he's making more money. Put the guy on the field that that allows you the best opportunity to win today. And uh, the other guys on that team, there's veteran guys that this might be their last year. This might be their last run at something. This is you win today. You win this week. You play. Coaches aren't going to be around two years from now to see this guy become who he may be. Uh, So I I just I love I always love the underdog story. I love having a guy step out of nowhere and all of a sudden have a great game. I I hope uh, he can continue it. He is in New York uh, with the Jets, you know, the place where quarterbacks go to die. So I hope they can uh, get it rolling. He started that game 11 for 11. His second half was 14 to 16, 188 yards and and made plays that helped them win. So I I wish him all the best. That's, you know, for me personally, that's, it's a cool situation. Anyway, none of the rookie quarterbacks that were drafted last year have winning records and uh, the guy that has the opportunity is Mac Jones. Mac Jones is uh, the most efficient of all those guys, so he isn't the top draft out of that group either. Remember, you can get the Flutie Flakes cast on Apple, Pandora, and Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcast. Make sure to rate and review, and uh, we will talk to our guest, Matt Hasselback coming up, Boston College alum. Well, kind of fired up to being a uh, Boston College uh, alumnus and uh, NFL Pro Bowl quarterback, uh, ring of honor recently with the Seattle Seahawks, Mr. Matt Hasselback. Matt, how you doing? What's up, Doug? Not too much. Just getting over Halloween. How'd Halloween go with the kids? Uh, well, my
1: kids are at that age where, you know, like my youngest is 16 years old. Oh, that's no, still so, fun. So it's, it's still fun it's just a totally different kind of Halloween you know what I mean and I was at work Uh, we shoot our show Sunday NFL countdown from New York City now so we were working that day but when I came out of we shoot down there on South Street at Pier 17 the Seaport when I came outside in between like after the four o'clock games uh, before the Sunday night game like the energy in New York City with the trick-or-treaters was something else it was really cool to see and everyone was in costume adults kids everybody it was
0: that's the way it should. We were all Wizard of Oz theme over at my daughter's house uh, and they have a gated community. So there's a thousand kids all over nice. the place. And
1: I yeah, love our it. show, our show was one of the many people that decided to go with the Ted Lasso theme.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, so we were, I was a little nervous about it, but I got to be Ted Lasso. So I was, was kind of fired up about so that. So it's all good. Pure 17. Yeah. We
0: actually had a Flutie's Pure 17 restaurant for years down there at the Seaport. Uh, that's cool. long since gone, but I, I know the area. Well, that's fine. So uh, how about the ring of honor? How, how did that feel? What was it like? That's pretty cool. Yeah, man, it was incredible, you know,
1: especially cause it didn't start out so smooth for me out there. You know, my mm-hmm. first year I get traded there. Mike Holmgren's the head coach, basically lost my job early on to Trent Dilfer. Trent Dilfer came in, played better than I did. I, I got a little hurt. Um, I got bench. He comes in, goes four and O right away. Doesn't, you know actually makes the team better by by how he played and how he led as a leader on the team and, and essentially they gave him the job it wasn't the only reason I really got the job back is the next year Trent Dilfer is playing at Dallas it's the game where Emmitt Smith breaks the NFL rushing record Trent tears his Achilles in the game and this time around I was ready I wasn't really ready that first time This time around, I was ready. We win that game. We go on a tear offensively. We've got some young talent at wide receiver. They give the job back to me. And and basically, you know, it's my job the rest of the way. So 10 years in Seattle. But again, it just, it started out a little bit rough.
0: Saw the little piece on his shoulders uh, that your son got to narrate for you. How cool is that to see?
1: Yeah, they tried to get me to cry. You know, I probably would have, (laughs) but I just, I was was kind kind of went in this mode, like, do not cry. Do not cry. I mean, it was, it was really cool. And I, I think that's probably, you know, I could talk for days about how special it was to just even be back there, mm-hmm. but to be back there and now to go in their ring of honor, to have your name up there with the great names of, of the other Seahawks, you know, this, the organization was started in 1976, but I'm going in this year with Mike Holmgren, which means a lot to me. I think it's just an amazing coach, great quarterback coach. And so, but to see the joy in our kids, you know, that's probably the best thing about it. Like, they were just so happy. They were all born there. We really hadn't been back to Seattle. Not, not really. You know, I left abruptly after the NFL lockout and, you know, was on a new team. And we just never had the chance to kind of come back. And it was really, you know, that was an incredible experience um, just seeing them go through it.
0: Does your son remember when you had him on his shoulders on the field there, walking off the field? Does he remember that? How old was he? Maybe two or three probably.
1: Yeah. Uh, let me think about that. He was probably five, you oh. know, he was six years old. So he was six oh, okay. years old, but like, you know, I think he remembers, but he remembers from, uh, p- from pictures and videos. Like he remembers, like, it's funny the things that the kids remember, right? It, <laughs> but, uh, but it, they also don't remember. Like, I remember it was like maybe a couple of years ago, my kids said to me like, I was saying we were talking football and they were like, dad, have you ever even run a touchdown in, in your life? Like, did you ever run one in? I'm like, what? Like, listen, I wasn't always 46 years old and slow. Like, you know, I mean, so I had to pull up some, I had to pull up some footage. You know, I was kind of embarrassed mm-hmm. that I did. I was actually shocked. I, I think I have a 22 yard touchdown run in my, in my, uh, on my resume, which kind of blew me away. I was thinking I was going to find a couple like five yarders, seven yarders,
0: you know, I don't have the speed. So, but, uh, no, so they, they do and they don't remember, I guess. I had the medium range. I had a lot of those 20 to 30 yard runs. I never had a, 60 80 actually in the cfl i had one long one but you know i i had the speed where i had a burst for about 20 yards and then i'm looking to pitch the ball to somebody and get the oh yeah i like that brought up being ready your second time around explain the difference of what you're seeing as a rookie to what you're seeing a few years later or the next time around when you really felt prepared
1: a lot of things really, you know, as the quarterback, you're really just the coach on the field. So you're trying to do everything that the coach is, uh, you know, trying to get accomplished. That's you, that's your job. But I think the biggest difference for me was just really being a master of pass protection, like understanding third down pass protection. And I, you know, I work with Steve Young at ESPN and, you know, there's something that he says all the time that I really believe with, like, it doesn't impress us basically to see quarterbacks do well from the 20 to the 20, like big deal. Like, that's not the thing. The thing is what can you do on third down and what can you do in the red zone? Like those are, those are two like major areas where essentially you earn your money. Um, We can go find a bunch of people to, to kind of succeed on first and second down. It's really not that complicated. You were probably doing some of that stuff in college, but on third down, that's where it gets so exotic and that's where the ownership of pass pro, of scheme, you know, of hot, side adjust, all that stuff, bluffs, that lands squarely on the, sho- on, the, on the shoulders of the quarterback. Not because you're smarter than your teammates or anything like that. You just have a far better view of it. You know, your center on a lot of teams makes a lot of protection calls. He's in a three-point stance with uh, snapping the ball with two giant like you know d tackles on either side of him he he just can't see from where he is you're probably in shotgun with just like a bird's eye view of the thing so they give you that responsibility and just quite honestly these rookie quarterbacks like they're they're just not prepared they don't come into the league prepared for it so i i i just think that i was in that same boat like when we go to the protection meeting I literally had no idea what the offensive line coach was talking about sometimes.
0: I wanted to just run the stuff I knew like the back of my hand, and I I I hate it when we put new wrinkles in. Maybe something for a red zone or one one or two. Coaches get carried away with that stuff, and I I always thought games on the line. You got a fourth down call, third down call, whatever it is. I want to run something I know like the back of my hand. Yeah. You know, you well, and able-
1: if you want to get real tricky, like okay, we're gonna run an out route, out route, out route, and now an out and up.
0: Yeah, right. <laughs> like it's there you something. go.
1: What else do you need? And maybe an out and up comeback. Okay. Meetings uh-huh. adjourned. Go home, yeah. guys. Be you with <laughs> your family, have dinner, go don't sleep on your couch. It's okay. Go
0: home. Let you talk on this too. The difference between just being a pure talent. Court- There's a thousand guys with a huge arm, but what separates the guys that are successful?
1: played 18 years in the nfl but with so many guys that were more talented than me had a better arm than me were faster than me would crush me in a combine but i played that long because i could do it consistently within the offense within the framework of the offense consistently and you know there's a lot of things that go into it you know one thing is ball security is job security there's other things that they call intangibles my first meeting in green bay with my quarterback coach andy reed said hey listen intangibles, study Brett Favre for intangibles. And I was like, well, I don't even know what that means. What are intangibles? I started studying Brett Favre. It's very clear what intangibles are. Okay. And so that's part of the quarterback position. It's one of the reasons why it's so hard to draft the right guy, but um, there's a lot that goes
0: into it. Definitely. What do you take of the the jet situation between now Mike White, stepping on a field and looking efficient, And what's been going on with Zach Wilson. So, uh, you know, how's that look to you going forward?
1: Yeah, Mike White played awesome. What do you have? 405 yards passing. Yeah, Three touchdowns. I think you might have two interceptions, but, you you know, but still like for a team that hasn't had a lot of hope, like they gave him hope. Like I work at ESPN, half of ESPN, they're Jets fans, you know, like (laughs) conservative estimate, half Um, tortured Jets fans. They just haven't had a lot of hope. They haven't had a lot to be excited about. And Mike White in that game, gave them a lot to be excited about. And, and I even think like, you know, probably the most amazing NFL catch I've seen this year, they called incomplete upon review. It was in that game, but you know, like Zach Wilson, at the same time, he shows just a tremendous amount of potential. You know, you look at the guys who have that, just that effortless athletic ability to be a thrower, a passer, the Mahomes, Josh Allen type thrower. That's what you see out of Zach Wilson, you know? So I understand why Zach's the guy, but at the same point, like here's a team that's just trying to go one and I think my hope would be if I was a Jets fan would be, Hey, maybe Zach Wilson, this, this guy that has unbelievable amount, amount of potential can watch how Mike White just let the offense work for him. It wasn't about, didn't have to, every throw doesn't have to be a sports center top 10 throw. It can just be about, you know, letting the offense work for you, being efficient, getting completions. And at the end of the day, you look up and you're like, whoa, I threw for 405 yards? Like, who knew? You know? So, you know, I think that's probably, you know, I guess some reason for optimism.
0: Yeah. I, th- I think that's what you see when you, um, wh- when I watch Tom Brady. Through the course of a game, there's times where he looks stiff and the ball says, you know, a little, nothing's impressive, like little completions. And then there might be one big play mixed in. And all of a sudden you look down, he's got 200 yards at half, a couple more touchdown passes. They stick the ball in the end zone. Uh, Tom was a sixth round draft, you're a fifth round draft.
1: I'm actually a six round draft pick. I appreciate you, you but I appreciate you putting me in the fifth round. But, oh, okay. uh, like after the third round, does it really matter? You know, like you're all probably not going to make the team, <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. but I, I, do, I do appreciate me. You bumping me up in the round there.
0: Well, see now now you got, a, you got some extra money in the bank. You didn't know about, right? <laughs> Thank you. Exactly.
1: Up. That's Bumps. it's just for a better signing bonus. You know, it would have taken me from $50,000 in a signing bonus to maybe $70,000 in a signing bonus.
0: Yeah. I had a $25,000 signing bonus when I came to Buffalo from, from the CFO. It was a big deal. Yeah. 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 <laughs> but that's, I go way back to the, my Patriot days in the late eighties and Steve Grogan and I were talking about it. It's like, no matter how well you play is that fifth, sixth, seventh round draft, whatever it is back in our day, 11th round draft, whatever um, you're never going to catch up money wise to that, that first round pick. And it's just a frustrating thing that I think motivates a lot of us. Was there motivation on your end to, to try to unseed somebody that was ahead of you because of that? Or, or it was just your natural competitiveness?
1: Yeah, a little bit of both. My main motivation was just having a job, just staying in the NFL, getting in the NFL and staying in the NFL. I didn't have a, a really amazing college career. I had a bunch of different head coaches. I was still developing as a player. You know, I was 17 years, 17 years old, my freshman year at Boston College. Uh, Went there because Tom Coughlin was the head coach. You know, a year later, he's gone. You know, so there was there was reasons for, you know, what it was. But basically, I went to the Green Bay Packers and went there thinking, hey, listen, I know I'm not going to make this team, but but pretty cool that I got drafted and I have a chance to just go be there for a mini camp when I got there. I realized, you know what, I can make this team. Like I actually could make this team. The people around you are so much better in the NFL that it's like it almost at the quarterback position can make your job easier if you could if you learn how to live within the offense and own the offense. But the chip on my shoulder part, it wasn't so much a chip. You know, I was not invited to the NFL Combine. I'm the draft year of Peyton Manning, Ryan Leaf, you know, and a bunch of guys. I got uninvited to the NFL Combine because Ryan Leaf came out early as a junior. So I had like an itinerary, but never got a plane ticket. I called the guy and he's like, oh yeah, you got bumped because probably a junior came out early. And I was like, oh, well, sir, Ryan Leaf's the only guy that came out early. He's like, well, now you know who bumped you. So like maybe from that point of uh, when I would have been like lifting and running in the weight room for the combine or my pro workout day, my personal workout day, you know, I had like this like chip on my shoulder towards like Ryan Leaf, you know, at that moment, like I was using that as motivation. But when I got to Green Bay, it really wasn't that. It was more like, wow. I get to be here with all these first round picks. These guys like Rick Meyer was in our quarterback room. I had his Sports Illustrated cover in my room growing up in my room. David Klingler was in the quarterback room. I had him on a Sports Illustrated cover in my room. So for me, it was just a little bit more of survival. But then once once I became the starter, I think the difference was as a six round pick, I never took it for granted the way that I saw some first round picks or high round picks that I played with. They just kind of took it for granted. Things were handed to them and, you know, things just hadn't been handed to me like that.
0: Yeah. I had a, I had a view of whether I didn't know whether I belonged or not at the NFL. And I I was, so you grew up around it a little bit with your dad playing and being, we were talking about that. I played with the Patriots in the late eighties and and your dad had just, just retired. Um, Talk a little bit about those as a kid being around pro athletes. I never, never was,
1: yeah, I li- listen, it's a great point. I, I didn't know it was. I didn't know it was unusual to to grow up with your like your dad playing for the Patriots, like or for whatever team. You know, people would ask me what I wanted to do when I grew up, and I'd be like, oh, I don't know, I just play in the NFL, like my dad and and my friend, like, you know, I grew up in third grade and fourth grade. We were with the Minnesota Vikings and Archie Manning's on the Vikings. And my brother and I, we used to just play with Peyton and Cooper Manning all the time, like playing touch football. I thought nothing of it. You know, New York giants, Phil Simms is the quarterback, like playing with his kids, Thought nothing of it, you know, just, just thought it was normal. But, but I do believe that like when I got to the NFL for the first time, I had been around, I had seen Bill Parcells cuss out Lawrence Taylor and Carl Banks. And I thought, Oh, that's who he likes, you know, cause he's getting after him a little bit, you know? So like when I got to green Bay and Mike Holmgren ripped me a new one in front of all the Packer fans at training camp, I, instead of thinking like, Oh my goodness, I'm the worst. I thought, Oh, he knows my name. That's great. You know, like, so I, I think there is some, some of that, but, um, But even still, I think I also had seen the dark side of the NFL, the injuries, the cuts, Mm. the, you know, all of it. So I don't think I took it for granted as an adult, the way that I did as a child.
0: By the end of my college career and all, I was expecting to play in the NFL. But when I got there, it was a big deal to me to step out on that field, you know, to be, maybe I made too much of it. You know, maybe it's the guy and I get jealous of these guys. I get jealous of the guys that are so talented that they just walk out on the field and play, you know, that they just, they're relaxed. They're, you know, the Deion Sanders of the world that know they're faster than anybody on the field. And then, you know, you've got to play to do the just peak performance to even compete with these guys and have an yeah. opportunity to get out there. Well, I think, I think you were just
1: born too early, Doug, because you know, from my perspective, you know, I was younger, obviously, but from my perspective, you were a guy that were, was out there doing it and succeeding and playing really well. But there was a group of people in the NFL at the time that, you know, had this idea in their head, like, Oh no, you gotta be six foot four. No, you gotta be able to do this. You gotta be like, it's got to fit in the book. The book says this. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I go back to the Buffalo situation when like you got benched in the playoffs, like, I don't get it. You know what I mean? Like, just I don't get it. Like, or, or even like you mentioned in New England, when it was Tony Eason, um, Steve Grogan, yourself. I remember games where, you know, either you or Steve Grogan would play well, and Tony Eason was the high round pick, and Tony, go back. He's back in there. And it's mm-hmm. like, so there is some of that in the NFL still, but way be- before it used to be just like, no, this guy's a first rounder, he plays. And now you see guys like, like, say, Russell Wilson, you know, when he went to Seattle, Matt Flynn was making all this money. He needs to be the starter. Russell Wilson was a rookie third round pick. And Pete Carroll said, no, you know what? This guy's a competitor. He's a winner. We can build something around him. We can make it special. And you see other guys. Drew Brees has had success. Like there's there's guys that play big, even though they're maybe not tall on a scale, like on a, you know, on with a a ruler, I guess. But, um, then there's, there's guys that are tall that play small. Like it's, it's just, uh, anyway, that's just
0: a little I You know, the game has changed and I, did you, you had no RPO game. We
1: did. Did We, we had it, we had it when I was playing. Um, but it was just like a sprinkled in thing, right? Mm -hmm. It was just like, Hey, here's a little way for us as a play caller. We don't know what they're going to do. So we're just going to basically call two plays. And if it doesn't work, it's your fault. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and, you know, like I, I actually think there was a time and a place for RPOs. And I think there's still that time in the place. But but I think what, what you see happening right now and like what I see happening with some teams, I'll say the New England Patriots as an example, they're running old school football plays. We're pulling guard. Somebody blocks down, somebody blocks down and somebody pulls around they're running old school football plays against linebackers that have grown up playing against RPO, their entire high school and college experience. And they're not as disciplined. They don't have the reps in nine on seven of wrong shouldering, a pulling guard, or, you know, holding firm at the point of attack to free up your linebackers. Like they they don't have that. And so it it is, the NFL is very cyclical Mm -hmm. and I'm curious to see where it goes, but because like the, the trends come and go. They just do. And so uh, I'm very curious I, to see how that plays out.
0: I agree with you 100%. The other aspect of of these mobile athletic, and I, and I do, I wish I was playing in the game today as opposed to 20 years ago because of the spread offenses and the quarterback runs and all that stuff. But they're taking a lot of hits. A lot of quarterbacks getting banged up. You know, in our day, quarterbacks got banged up in the pocket and slammed to the ground. Yeah, but, Uh Even Patrick Mahomes, he's not taking off as much as he used to. And he had one little scramble. He ran out of bounds and he avoided and kind of got bumped in and, and came back hobbling a little. Do yeah. you think there's a hangover from that surgery yet. It's it's quite possible.
1: I mean, that's the thing. Like when you watch film, you know, I just think back of the years of my career. Right. So I played a long time, but the, all the years weren't the same. You know, I was dealing with injuries when I was 27 that I wasn't dealing with when I was 29. So I'm healthier at 29 than I was at 27. Like every year is just kind of different. And so, you know, I don't know what he's dealing with, but people are playing him differently. Like they, they know him now and they're basically saying, listen, you're probably the best quarterback that's ever played against the blitz. Like people blitz you, they pay the price. Here's what we're going to do. We know your personality. We know your confidence in your own ability. We're just going to sit back and not give you a big play. We're going to rush four or we're going to rush three. We're going to drop seven or we're going to drop eight. And maybe one of those guys is going to be spying on you. And we're going to see if you are patient enough to take checkdowns the entire way down the field. And guess what? You're not. (laughs) You're just not. And so sometimes that talent can be a curse and a blessing Mm -hmm. at the same time. It's the same thing with guys who are great runners. Those are the guys that I believe struggle the most becoming a consistent passer because their whole life, you know, they've been able to get by with, Hey, if I don't like it, I'm just going to take off and run. And if you really study it and break it down, especially these young quarterbacks, what do they do? A right-handed quarterback, when he breaks contain, what does he do? He goes to his right. So it's very, it's, it's as simple as saying this, the defensive end on the quarterbacks, right? Hey, when you rush, you're not really rushing. Just sit out there and like have outside contained. Don't let him step up. Don't get behind him. And then the guy that the people that can tee off is the left side, like almost like baiting you into it. And um, I don't know. It's just, it's, uh, it's so predictable. So anyway, that, that's, those are just some random thoughts I have yep. on it.
0: Well along those lines and that's what makes the veteran quarterback so effective is the, the patience. To be able to put a 15 15 play drives are hard to do, you know, converting four or five third downs and, uh, you know, being consistent and marching the ball down the length of the field and the younger quarterbacks and the athletic guys that maybe aren't as uh, disciplined in the pass game uh, find a little harder time. They're used to making big plays, four or five big plays, and, and they're in the end zone. Most importantly, Friday night, Virginia Tech, Boston College, what happens? Ooh. It's a hard team to figure out right now. You know, we lost our starting
1: quarterback in Phil Dracovic, and that's a it's a tough blow for anybody. He's a special talent. He's an NFL type quarterback. You know, the injury bug is uh, it's tough for every team. But when you have a new head coach, and they've got a new head coach in Jeff Halfley, he's you know fairly new at Boston College. So much of that is like developing the roster. You get a lot of people that enter a transfer portal when you go from a team that ran the ball as much as a service academy to a team that's now in shotgun throwing the ball as much as anybody. You got a quarterback that's in his first year when he transferred from Notre Dame, he's breaking all these Boston College passing records, even yours. Mine, not hard to break. Yours, hard to break. So I think you just have a little bit of roster turnover there. And, And so it's tough to develop the same amount of depth. But listen, it, I'll, I'll say this just about the BC football um, team, the season right now from where I sit. It is so cool to see the fan base so reignited. You know, the stadium is lively. The student section is just absolutely amazing. The games that I've been to this year, it's just been – the place has been rocking. And so, like, that's the start. And it's been – it was kind of my experience when I was in Seattle, too. We were talking about the Ring of Honor earlier. Our team wasn't really – hadn't really figured it out. But our crowd had a history of how loud they were in the kingdom, and they knew how to have a home field advantage. So our crowd actually was amazing before our team was amazing. And I think that's one thing that I, I would hope to see at BC. If our crowd could come back the way that they did when you played or when Tom Coughlin was there, or some of those great Matt Ryan years, like if that crowd can sort of get there and just like help energize, especially the defense uh, with crowd noise and stuff like that, as the team's growing up a little bit, like really we could hit something special. So Friday night, I believe it's red bandana game. Um, we'll be there. I'm sure a lot of people are going to be there, but, um, we're fired up for the season and you know, it's, uh, you know, we just got to fight through the injuries a little
0: bit. Yeah. they've, They've had to deal with that. I love Jeff Hathley as a, um, head coach. And I thought we saw a lot of great things early on. And we were at the uh, Missouri game. I mean, the atmosphere, you were just, yeah, that was incredible. Atmosphere. Yeah. Was I mean, so overtime nice. win. you know, they're storming. The, and so like,
1: I, I'm a dad now of two daughters who uh, are at Boston college, they play lacrosse at BC and we are super proud of them. But I'm, I'm, I'm like, we win the game and like everyone's storming the field and I'm like, yeah, this is so cool. Storm the field, storm the field. And then I went into dad mode. And I'm like, wait a sec, I've got girls. Like, Get off the field. Get off the field. You know, like, be careful. Don't jump over the railing. You know, like all the stuff. So, um, yeah.
0: Well, I'm keeping my money. fingers crossed for BC. I think they're gonna. I, I really hope we can hang on to Jeff Halfley as a coach and, and see that uh, keep yeah. developing and growing. Uh, thanks a lot, Manny. Thanks for joining. Me. Hopefully, BC gets a win on Friday night, and uh, we'll look forward to seeing you again soon. Thanks. Awesome,
1: man. Go Eagles.
0: Well, I want to thank Matt Hasselbeck for joining me. Matt's an old friend, Boston College alum. Unbelievable career. Congratulations on the Ring of Honor in Seattle. Uh, Just an amazing career for Maddie. Well, before we get out of here today, uh, I really uh, would like to mention jerry remy boston red sox announcer boston red sox second baseman in the 70s and 80s uh, passed away this week from cancer a battle he's been fighting for years on and off he's a beloved sports figure in the in, in boston in new england area uh, he's been in the broadcast for over three decades for the boston red sox his voice is comfort food to the entire region we all love listening to jerry he made us laugh he dances in the in the press box His interaction with the fans and his love for the red sox and baseball he's just a beloved figure by the entire community and he will be missed Uh, jerry Remy rem dog we all love you and we'll miss you we will move on to twitter questions and find out what people want to talk about there tom
2: yeah, Doug, every week, uh, tweet your questions or comments at Doug Flutie. Uh, it's crazy to think we're already midway through the football season. feels like it started yesterday, but uh, a couple big upsets last week in the NFL. And I think let's start with the one in New Orleans. I don't know if this was a bigger upset than the other one I'll get to in a minute, but the Saints beating the Bucks with Trevor Simeon. I think, you know, Jameis out for the year with a torn ACL which is too bad for him. But I mean, what'd you think about that?
0: Did that really surprise you the most this weekend? I think it surprised me. I think the the Jets victory over Cincinnati is more surprising, but the the thing that actually surprised me in the game was that Tom Brady had a chance to go the length of the field with two minutes to go, one score to win it. And it didn't happen. He threw a pick, Um, great play safety, jumping a crossing route, Uh, Trevor Simeon coming off the bench and playing well. I will. And I said this uh, during our podcast, quarterbacks coming off the bench in the middle of the game, our, now, it's a challenge for them to be prepared and be ready every week without all the reps. But as far as nerves and situational, you're you're relaxed. You go out. It's a no-lose situation for you. Turn it loose and let it fly. You played very well.
2: Yeah, Doug, and I think one thing we'll see every week in college football is a couple upsets here and there. And one of the questions or comments this week was regarding Kenny Pickett and Pitt losing to Miami. I guess the biggest upset we had this year was Texas A&M beating Alabama because they were number one at the time. but Kind of throughout your college career, I don't, I don't know if you remember this, but how many kind of upsets, or do you remember that kind of surprised you, or that maybe you went through personally?
0: Oh well, they happen every week, every week, and it, and and in the SEC, they always talk about the week, the hangover week after a big win. Um, after you beat your rival, and the following week is a lesser opponent, you're coming off a huge win. You're you're dealing with young kids that don't focus as well, that maybe they're partying a little more that week or hanging out and feeling good about themselves, patting themselves on the back, whatever it may be. I know that I had games. I mean, there was no doubt I was going to play well when we played Alabama, Miami, Penn State. I was going to have a good game. I was going to go, uh, you know, everything I had all week long. And then we played Temple. We had a fourth down and one on Tem- we had to get in to beat Temple at Temple in a fourth down play where we barely got in the end zone. Rutgers, we had to go the length of the field, 87 yards with no timeouts and get a two-point conversion to win. We played some very mediocre games against what we at the time considered a lesser opponent that weren't a top 20 team. And it's just hard as a young kid to be consistent and play week in and week out. And upsets happen every week.
2: And probably part of the reason why Nick Saban is so serious at every press conference, right? He never wants to show his team he's letting down.
0: Yeah, well, no doubt about it. It's so easy to pat yourself on the back after a big win. And and coaches, people that have been around the block a little bit, they know that the next week is even more challenging now because the kids are starting to think they're good or they know that don't coaches never let you feel like you were good. They always wanted to critique you. It's like, coach, I just had a 400-yard passing game, and, and yet they're going to go back and be meticulous about all the little mistakes you made in the game because they're just trying to avoid the letdown the following week. Always a lot of fun to answer the Twitter questions. Keep them coming. I want to know what you want to talk about, so, so fire them out there. Keep me uh, – you know, I always say that it brings up stories. It'll bring things up that, that make me think of a, a memorable moment or something. So just keep the questions coming. And remember, you can get the Flutie Flakes cast on Apple, Pandora and Stitcher or wherever you get your podcast and make sure to rate and review. The Flutie Flakes cast is a part of the Sirius XM podcast network. The executive producer is Tom Kress. The associate producers are Chris Tyler and Denny Gallagher. Andy King is the director of sports podcasting for SiriusXM. XM. Special thanks to SiriusXM XM Senior Vice President of Sports Programming and Podcasting, Steve Cohen. Thanks for listening to the Food Cast, and join us again next week.
2: SiriusXM XM Podcasts.